Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yeah, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to our audio-only live stream, the podcast, and, of course, uh, social media feeds for our simulcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and broadcasting live on plain old regular terrestrial radio, free as it's always been. Uh, across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting live. Oh, man, live. Uh, hey, how you doing? Uh, welcome to it. Monday morning. Yes, it came way too early. Monday, Monday morning. Came way too early, but here we are, ready to do our thing, ready to dive into it, and uh, we are uh, we're we're ready to uh, ready to go this morning. On the program uh, today, we're going to be uh, taking a look first and foremost at the session and uh, what the upcoming session may look like. Uh, what does it look like? What's going on? What what can we expect in this coming uh, in this coming uh, year or two? Well, we know we got kind of a feel for what's going to be happening here, uh, and we have that, of course, from the lawmakers themselves. There's been several interviews and discussions uh, with some of the legislators in the Senate majority as well as a few in the minority as well and we're going to get a we're going to we're going to get a, a a shot and a chance to take a look at these things and uh and talk about it. Uh now we are just a few short days away in fact we are uh just uh a week away. Session is set to start next Tuesday, I believe, 17th. If I am not mistaken, 17th will be the first day of the session, and uh, we're going to jump into it with both feet and get kind of a feel for where things are going. Uh, so I'll give you my take on how things are happening and what's going on there, and we will then be joined in Hour 2 by State Senator Rob Myers, who will come on board, and he's going to chat with us a bit about uh, about his thoughts on the session. Where where does he think it's going to be going? Where you know where where are the fracture points? I guess. Uh, and what uh, what should we be what what we should be looking at, um, including uh, you know the thing about uh, government spending, uh, capital budgets, uh, you know, the cost of things like Medicaid and the permanent fund. Uh, it's going to be a full. It's going to be a full discussion with Rob Meyer starting uh, in just about an hour or so, just under an hour from now. 
We'll be picking it up with Rob Myers and talking with him about uh, that there. So, hope you got a cup of Joe <clears throat> and are ready to uh, ready to dive into it. I hope that's you're ready to start the the weekend off. Um, you've been wondering if you've been wondering why you've been having a hard time getting uh, eggs for breakfast. Well, there's a reason for it. Uh, picture after picture of grocery stores with uh, a complete lack of uh, of protein in the egg aisle uh, happening all the time. I sent my wife a snapshot. It must have been about, I guess it must have been about two weeks ago. Uh, I stopped by the store to pick a few things up, uh, which I haven't been doing <clears throat> the last couple of years. My kids have been doing a lot of that stuff. Luckily for me, it takes, it's a lot better for me when that happens. Um, but I went to get eggs and there was not a single egg to be found in the entire store. Uh, and it has just gotten, oof, it has just gotten tough. Uh, and, uh, and the pricing, the prices of eggs, I was speaking with somebody yesterday, uh, who is, uh, down in the lower 48, uh, and they live in the Midwest, uh, and they mentioned that they had just paid like, Almost five dollars, five and a half dollars, or something for eighteen eggs. It was get, it was just getting crazy. Well, uh, the reason why we're seeing such a major uh, impact, especially here in Alaska, but across the entire Pacific Northwest, is the uh, major egg suppliers in Washington State are in the midst of culling over a million chickens because of the outbreak of bird flu. Uh, the outbreak ultimately led to the supply shortage issues across urban and rural Alaska, according to the ADN. And uh, they said retailers are attempting to find other suppliers that can produce as many eggs, but it's challenging since products like eggs and milk, things like that, are usually sourced regionally. Um, it's not typical for eggs to be sourced for Alaska from California or the Midwest, but the bird flu has been interfering with the egg supply nationwide since March of last year. Um, and companies like Fred Meyer is limiting egg purchases to two cartons per customer. Three Bears Alaska, the grocery store chain with locations across the communities on the road systems, is buying larger packs of eggs and then breaking them down into dozens, according to the company's marketing director. Uh, and in fact, that's surprisingly, that's been one of the few places that uh, my family's been able to uh, to to find eggs. Was <laughs> like Costco has had them sometimes, and Three Bears. Um, across the state, Cars, Fred Meyer, Walmart, all the major grocery store retailers. Uh, have uh, have had a hard time keeping those on the shelf. Plus, on top of that, weather delays and fewer ships have made eggs and other supplies arrive late. But the problem is with the eggs themselves is that they're just not getting to the uh, docks in Tacoma. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough time. It's going to be uh, a tough uh, a tough time for that for a little bit. We don't know exactly. When, according to one of the experts cited in the article from the ADN, 
They expect the overall shortage to last two to four months more. So it's two to four months more. And of course, you've got you've got uh, Easter coming as well. So that should be <clears throat> that should be fun. Huh? You may be using nothing but plastic eggs for Easter this year. And it really puts a damper on one of my favorite foods, which is the deviled egg. I love me some deviled eggs. And, uh, ooh, man. So, anyway, that's the answer to why things have been uh, so slim. Slim pickings on the egg front uh, around the state of Alaska. And that just reminds us, uh, it just reminds us how vulnerable we are here in the state when it comes to the supply chain that, uh, you know, something that happens, uh, you know, 2000 miles away has a direct and, uh, inherent impact on everything we're doing here, uh, that we don't have the ability as we did in yesteryear of, um, you know, of feeding ourselves. In fact, my wife and I had a serious conversation last week about whether or not uh, in the spring we should be we should get chickens again. Uh, before we left uh, Fairbanks, we had chickens and rabbits and goats. We had a little farm going on there. Um, we, uh, you know, and we had our own uh, we had our own little egg uh, egg production facility there. We had more eggs than we knew what to do with. We were giving them away to friends and family. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what's going on. Um, somebody just said that, that they saw three bears in, uh, in their area. Three bears had half a dozen for $4 and 69 cents. Um, so, I mean, we're, I'm seriously considering, uh, I'm seriously considering doing the, uh, doing the chicken thing again, uh, just because, my uh, my family buys eggs by the five dozen, and uh, it's pretty tough when uh, when you run out of something like that that is such a homegrown staple. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting, but again, it does remind us that um, it does remind us that that our food security should be an important thing that we should be talking about, uh, and and we should be considering. Uh, because it doesn't take uh, it doesn't take but you know one little thing to cause uh, enough of a problem that we're going to feel that for quite some time. So there you there you go. That's the that's the the big news uh, on the agenda. That and the fact that uh, Kevin McCarthy is now finally been elected. Um, um, finally being elected uh, as Speaker of the uh, U.S. House. <laughs> that was the big weekend. That was the big weekend news that uh, everybody was, you know, following and excited about. I mean, not me specifically, but uh, it it is what it is. And uh, uh, maybe at least now they'll stop taking up all the headlines with that and, and move on. I mean, I thought it was a healthy thing, quite honestly. I thought it was a good thing because, again, it showed – that uh, everybody was not in lockstep, that not everybody was uniformly impressed with the way that the Congress itself has been doing business over the last 15 years. And that maybe, maybe 
There could be some concessions that were drawn out of the uh, new speaker that would make things a little better for the citizens rather than just for the politicians. But your mileage may vary. We'll see. We'll see what comes out of that here in the near future, but we'll be watching that. All right. So, uh, session, session, who's got your session? That would be me. We're going to dive into that here in just a second. We already know uh, some of the ways and directions that things are going to be going, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. I forgot to turn the light on. There you go. Uh, And we're going to uh, dive into that here right after this. How about that? The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more in just a moment and our outlook on the session for 2023 and beyond. It's all right here. You're all for Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Well, good morning, uh, my friends. How are you doing? I. How are you doing? On this, sorry about that. I forgot about my, you know, the new studio. I forgot I got to turn on like fifty three things now, including uh, including my new, you know, my light here, which just gives me a little bit more of a depth of field on the face and stuff. Howdy, 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 howdy. <clears throat> so, how was your? My weekend was way too short, and I stayed up way too late last night. Um, I'd be the first to admit, I got sucked into something with my wife and we were re-watching something and I was like, oh, and then I looked at the clock and said, wow, I got to get up in five hours. Uh, stayed up way too late, way too late. Uh, but at least it is warmer. Yesterday was seven below at the house. This morning it is, I don't know, like 12 above, something like that. 15 above. Ooh, man, we're in a heat wave, tropical heat wave. 15 above here at the house uh, this morning here. Um, kids go back to school today. I'm not as excited about it as they are. <laughs> Ready for summer. Uh, let's see. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, how's the show store coming? It's coming okay, Sandy. Still working on it. Still working on it. Um. Avian flu, says Jerrica, has been an issue in the country since the first outbreak in Alaska in 2021. Everyone just ignored it then. Now we're in the midst of our second outbreak in the state and seeing outbreaks across the country. Yeah, again, this is uh, one of the reasons why my wife and I were just talking about uh, uh, we're just talking about actually getting chickens again. I mean, she loved the chickens, first of all, first and foremost. Second of all, uh, you love them eggs. You love them eggs. Um, 
And don't forget, California just forced several large producers to cull their flocks because of the new cage-free law. Oh, man. Um, I built a nice chicken coop last fall. Going to have chickens in it when the snow is on the run, says Michael. Uh, Mikhail, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's the that's the time to do it. That is the time to do it. Let me turn this over here. I need to look at this. There we go. There we go. Okay, it's good to have friends friends with chickens and pigs, says uh, Greg. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And then Mikhail says, uh, victory garden time. For those of you who don't know what victory gardens were, that's an outgrowth of uh, both world wars where people were at home and they were encouraged to plant victory gardens in their terrace flower boxes, under trees and parks, basically planting crops wherever they could to uh, help feed the help feed the folks out there. Um, it's definitely not a, a good thing. Um, and, uh, whoops, what was that? Laura, Laura says diabetics eat a lot of eggs. I'm glad we have a local source. I just love eggs. I'm love my eggs. Fred's with slim pickings on many items last night. Yeah. Uh, GCI is really, yeah. GCI has had a, they had a statewide outage yesterday. They lost everything from, 911 to internet to everything else. I luckily for the, I mean, surprisingly, I wasn't affected and obviously I'm not affected this morning, but you know, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, Arctic chicken coops. If you don't want to build a coop, says Joshua Reed, what is this Arctic chicken coop you speak of? I'm curious. Send me a link. Just, you know, Send me a link. Let's uh, let's talk about it. Um, <clears throat> uh, we grow or produce five percent of the food we consume in Alaska, says Kevin. We must get a good farmer. We must get food and farmer regulations under control. I would not disagree with that at all. I think it's been in, and I yes, I cannot I cannot agree more. Let me just put it that way. I cannot agree more. All right. Here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. I guess I should I guess I should open the phones too, huh? All right, I'll do that as well. Here we go. Jumping back in. All right. Good morning and uh, welcome back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Folks uh, have talked me into uh, opening up the phone lines, I guess, as well, since we're going to have a conversation about what's going on down in Juneau or what we expect to go down in Juneau. Uh, you might as well be able to sound off on it. How about that? So let's uh, let's let's do this. Let's throw the phone lines open at 907 433 3150. 907 433 
3150. Powered by our friends over there at Satellite West. You can find out more about them at SatelliteWest.com. Uh, doesn't matter where you are in the state. If you need to be connected, they are the ones that can uh, get you all squared away. Uh, satellite, phone, uh, text, messages, internet, email. If you need to do those things anywhere in the state of Alaska off the grid, the folks at Satellite West have got you covered. So uh, stop by and see them again at SatelliteWest.com. All right, uh, so phone lines are now officially open, and we're ready to take some calls from you if you want to participate in that way. Meanwhile, we're going to uh, we're going to get into this, and we're going to talk about where the session goes from here. And uh, as you could see in the headlines that have been popping out over the last few. The, the over the last few days, um, well, last few weeks, more than likely, education is definitely going to be topping that list. But we got a chance. Uh, Yareth Rosen over at the Alaska Beacon uh, wrote an article that was picked up by the ADN talking about uh, what the uh, Alaska Senate leadership aims for in consensus and uh, where they, you know, where they they go for. And they're specifically quoting in this article, Kathy Giesel, who is the incoming Senate majority leader. Uh, And uh, she talked specifically about the the priorities that we're going to be seeing in the uh, in their session from from the legislature. So first and foremost, um, they're going to uh, start taking a look at things. I mean, education is going to be number one. It was the first and first thing that they absolutely mentioned was the school district funding. Also going to want to talk about um, uh, the the size and scope of government. And uh, we're going to get into that here in just a second. Uh, and then, of course, the broader issue, she actually did mention food security, which I, you know, I found myself a little uncomfortable with when I'm agreeing on something that uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Kathy Giesel is in favor of. I, I you know, I, I get a little worried about it. Uh, and then she goes on to talk about the permanent fund. So this is kind of the outline of the whole article. And we're just going to start. We're just going to start at the top and work our way down. So first and foremost, I I have to make a few comments on some of the phraseology and some of the quotes from Kathy Giesel uh, in in this uh, in this piece. She started off by saying the coalition formed with a goal, and that is working together to keep Alaska a producing state and not a consuming state, but a producing state. Now, how you can say that when 30, was it 36%, 37% of Alaskans are now on some form of welfare or government subsidy? How you can say that that is Alaska being a producing state? 
and not a consuming state, well, that's a little bit beyond me. How you can how you can keep how you could say that with a straight face. That's that's the thing. She goes on to talk about how the across the aisle collaboration that they are proposing contrasts with the hostility, the hostility, I tell you, that has stymied progress within Alaska and elsewhere. I mean, this is this is this is what I mean, the the hostility in the Senate where Bert Stedman had control pretty much of everything, regardless of what the caucus said. The hostility is, is, but it's, a, okay. Um, so she says, uh, the coalition that you see, 17 members, bipartisan, nine Democrats and eight Republicans, is actually a, an acknowledgement of what's been going on for the last four years in the Alaska Senate. She said it reflects the will of the Alaska public, which um, I don't know how you say that. I mean, anybody could say what they're doing is reflecting the will of the people based on anecdotal. This is what people are telling me. You know, this is what people are telling me. This is what I've heard from people versus the plain truth of the there were 11 Republicans elected to the Senate and nine Democrats. And instead, you have formed a coalition and ousted three of your Republican colleagues and, uh, you know, basically relegated them to outer Mongolia. And for you to say that somehow this reflects the will of the public is, uh, I guess I could say, disingenuous at best. I mean, and just out, well, I mean, I won't say at worst, but I mean, disingenuous at best. Now, they start off talking about education, and they start off talking about how the school districts are stressed with funding problems and inflation and COVID monies and all these other kind of things, to which I begin by saying, okay, who was in control of these monies this whole time? The school districts, the boroughs, those, they're the ones that have had control of millions and millions and millions of dollars. And to continue to look to the state to bail them out because they have been poor managers of money is problematic, to say the least. Another priority in the discussion on education, because they're going to they're going to uh, increase the base student allocation. That's it. The, the fact there's another article that basically says it's not a question of uh, lawmakers say that the question heading into the coming legislative session isn't whether there will be an increase in the education budget. It's how big the increase will be. They've already I mean, that's it. That's they've acknowledged that that's it. But before we get into the deep end on that, let's talk about the other priority when it comes to teachers and things like that. And that is the recruitment and retention of qualified teachers. 
Uh, Giesel has said that is going to be a priority. It's quite likely that we're going to be looking at some kind of pension retirement type program, i.e. a defined benefits program. That's what we're going to be looking at. A defined benefit, not just for first responders, now for teachers. And as we talked about last week, as it goes for, you know, you, 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 the inequity of offering something like this to just one component of government is probably not going to fly. It's not going to sit well. And what will happen is once that camel's nose is under the tent, oh, baby, it's going to be everywhere for everyone. Then they moved on to other items, and we're going to get we're going to get into the deep dive here into the next segment into the educational components of what that's going to end up looking like cost wise. But the next priority laid out by Senate Majority Leader Kathy Geisel is that uh, broadly workforce development is a priority for the coalition, both in private and public sectors. Workforce development, because that's a job that government should be involved in. In both the private and public sectors, uh, well, first of all, let's start with the public sector. She said in the public sector, there are possibly three departments in state government, quote, that are on the verge of being non-functional because so many state employees have left service to the state. But you note she doesn't Name the three different departments and on the verge of being non-functional. This is, again, a follow-up to the article last week talking about how these poor, poor folks over in uh, health and social services and the welfare departments, and the, that how they're just being overworked and underpaid. How the Dunleavy administration has just gutted the, uh, the portions of these departments, not by firing people, but simply by having a hiring freeze. But this is all part and parcel of that, that cry, that chicken little thing of these are on the verge of being non-functional. Uh, she also said in both the private and public sectors, there needs to, uh, need to ensure that workers have access to child care. When did it become government's job to provide child care for everyone? She says, how do you solve that problem? This is a very low compensated job that is critically important to business and to your employees. Well, let's go back to the previous little thing where you said profound delays in services like permitting and licensing. How about you remove some of the permitting and licensing and government, you know, uh, red tape surrounding child care? How about we streamline that process and make it easier for people to be able to go in there and be licensed for things like child care? How about that? How about we make that happen? Then she talks about energy concerns, including the coalition members are interested in developing renewable and alternative energy, including potential for hydrogen or more hydroelectric. Then she talks about the food security, probably one of the few things that I agree with, although I definitely am going to dis I can tell you right now, without even looking at whatever proposal she's got, I'm going to disagree with her mechanism for assuring that food security because 
I know uh, for 100 percent for certain that she is going to be looking to government to solve those problems for us instead of just getting out of the way of the farmers and the producers and things like that to let them get that stuff. to. I mean, I could just almost guarantee it. And finally, they worked their way all the way down to the revenue side of the equation. Uh, coalition members will get more details on budget problems at a pre-session retreat, which was happening this last weekend. Uh, the problems are dire, says Click Bishop, a Fairbanks Republican. I do know that we're upside down on our revenue by over a billion dollars from the spring to the fall forecast, he said. They go on to talk about oil prices and oil revenues and how the outlook of these things have diminished the investment earnings of the permanent fund dividend, which has become the top source of revenue for the state. In top source of revenue for the state. Investment losses have taken a big toll on the fund, which has declined about $6.5 billion since mid-2021. Here is the this is the the money shot of this whole article in the Beacon and the ADN. And I quote, Neither Geisel nor Bishop presented themselves as fans of big Alaska permanent fund dividends. Geisel said, the huge dividends that some Alaskans are demanding are unaffordable. Quote, we've got to bring that dividend subject under control. We need to protect the fund itself. Unquote. We need to bring that dividend subject under control. I mean, you, you're just going <laughs> to. We. Okay. Bishop said much of the $17 billion that has gone out the door in dividends since, 20, uh, since 2002 could have been better used. I mean, is, this, is he not deeply infected with a politician's disease? We know better than you how to spend your money. Much of the $17 billion that has gone out the door since 2002 could have been better used as infrastructure investment that would have helped build the state's economy, for example. Now, the other $17 billion that went out the door with government spending, no, they don't mention that. They, they don't mention that at all. That it wasn't just the $17 billion that went out the door in dividends. What about the $16, $17 billion you guys blew in just a handful of years because you couldn't control your spending? What about that? Oh, no word on that one right there. I can guarantee you. No word on that one, my friends. That's... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. All right, if you uh, you're ready, we're gonna uh, take a quick break. We're gonna come back here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thing and radio. We'll continue with more here. One final segment: education on the line up next.
Sunset. Regularly heard on American Radio. Okay. In the break. Uh, all right. Go back here to see what you guys are talking about. Let's see. Um, I'm, boy, you guys are like talking chickens. You guys are like talking chickens, like back in the woof. There we go. Okay. I finally made it back. Um, uh, chicken definitely needs more. Alaska definitely needs more self-sufficiency. Uh, Jim's chickens. Jim's chickens uh, uh, says they're slow, always slow down the lane in the winter. Food is expensive and the electricity for the heat lamp isn't cheap. Uh, yeah, we actually, I built a pen into my garage when I lived in North Pole. And we had part of the chicken coop was actually inside the garage, which made it incredibly dusty. I mean, there was some definite downsides to it. But the upside was they stayed pretty warm. Uh, I actually had a unit heater piped into their little uh, into their little coop, which is about twice the size of this studio. <laughs> um, let's see. DEC, DEC needs to stop overregulating farmers and ranchers. I agree. I agree. Again, you want food security? Get government out of the way. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. The night the ge the geese nightmare begins. Let's see. Um Kevin said um there were 30 legislators on the food security caucus last session. The governor is also very concerned. It might be the biggest issue we have to face this year. I'll be leaning on my friends and constituents who are growers and ranchers to provide info and maybe even testimony. Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, I, I, I got it. Donna says school districts are plagued by recent hands out, handouts from Uncle Sugar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this we're going to get into that in the next segment because some of the quotes in this article uh, from Jarrett and others is just, I mean, it's, it's insane. It's, I mean, it's insane. Um, uh, did the state ever pass legislation regarding insurance for PERS and TERS? I don't know, David. Um, Everyone will need chickens if we enact defined benefits as a state will be bankrupt front with the income tax is the only solution for from. Yeah. Um, food security, non-functional, still okay. Uh, you mean meat doesn't come from the store? What? Tax tires, that'll help. Um... You guys are just all over the place here on the sell on the food sufficiency. And we've talked about doing a food security show for quite a while. And I know Jerrica is clapping her hands and, and jumping up and down. Uh, I mean, I have done food security shows in the past and I think it's, uh, 
this is probably a good time to start talking about them because uh, it's really up in your face right now. You can't avoid uh, you can't avoid it. It's right there for sure. Um, no other way. There we go. All right. Um, I'm scrolling down here. Uh, chicken coop. I still want to know about that Arctic chicken coop that somebody commented on up in their thing. The greed of the legislators. The greed. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. I just don't fathom it. Yeah, I know. Let's talk chickens. Self-reliant shows sound like we're going to need them. I used to do a show. um, It's been quite a while since we've done one. But I used to do a show that I called... uh, Sorry, something on the floor. Uh, what if Wednesday? What if? What if something happens? What if something goes on? Would five rounds of ammo be a fair trade for eggs? Well, it depends on what the ammo is. If it's 375 Ruger, that's a little overkill. <laughs> 375 Ruger, you could get away with one round for a dozen eggs. I mean, <laughs> Based on what we were seeing before, I mean, the case is worth 80 cents, right? What did they say? $270 a box? Oof. Oof. Um, you could trade an egg for a gallon of gas now. Uh, let's see. Um, someone posted an article... Of all the things government is involved in in our lives, it's nuts. Oh, I'd love to see, I'd love to see that list. I've seen one similar in the past. I'd love to see it again. All right. Well, we're getting ready to jump into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. then let's uh let's dive into it one final segment this morning before we jump into it with uh rob myers state senator rob myers who's going to be our guest joining us in hour two we've been talking about the direction that the session is going to be going and we can already see how this is all we can already see how this is all folding out, right? I mean, you already got the you already got the feel for this. Uh, I mean, just to highlight again what we were talking about, education is probably going to be the one thing soaking up all the oxygen in the room. They're going to be talking about education. You're going to see an increase to the BSA. You're going to see probably an attempt to forward fund education on top of the BSA. And then they're going to talk about the benefits and the retirement system. It's they're going to be pushing for a defined benefits program uh, on top of it. Uh, then they're going to talk about um, uh, increasing the size and scope of government, increasing funding for the various departments, 
because, you know, they want us to be a producer state instead of a consumer state. So giving more money to the government, which has never produced anything, that totally makes sense. Totally, totally makes sense. And then, of course, they need to bring the dividend subject under control. Kathy Geisel's actual words. We've got to bring the dividend situation under control. Because they know better than you how that money should, regardless of the fact that they received exactly the same amount of money, right? Regardless of the fact that they received exactly the same amount of money and just went through it like drunken sailors on shore leave, right? Other than that, I mean, that's that's the plan. Now, let's get down a little bit into the nitty gritty of uh, of 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 the education issue, because that is going to be the prime number one discussion is going to be uh, the uh, is is going to be the discussion on uh, on on on. Oh, man, on education. I'm just, my brain is just, my brain hurts at this point. Um, oh, By the way, phone lines are open. If you want to sign, if you want to sound off on this, feel free to do so here in the next little bit. Uh, we won't be taking phone calls once we get to Rob. So if you do want to sound off on this, now is the time to do it. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Uh, we'd love to, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, feel free to uh, to jump in there. Uh, lawmakers say increasing education funding is a top priority. Morgan Krakow and Iris Samuels over at the ADN writing the article. This has been, again, amongst an ongoing flurry of articles about how Alaska is just behind the times. We're just behind the times and we're so backwards because we're not funding education to the way that we need to. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats in the House and Senate said that an education funding boost will likely come this year through an increase to the base student allocation, that is the per-student formula used to calculate the dollar amount school districts receive from the state. This is when they do the seats and the butt, you know, butts in the seats count, and they say, how many kids do you got? And they multiply it by that number, right? Rising the funding amount, which has stayed almost the same since 2017, it's only gone up 4%. It's only gone up 4% since 2017, but that's just not enough. Has been the key issue from some left-leaning lawmakers in the past, but budget crunches in districts across Alaska are pushing lawmakers from across the political aisle to cite increasing education funding as a key priority. Again. Budget crunches in districts across Alaska because they have been unable to, first of all, you need to look at the product that's being delivered. Is it high quality? No. No? Okay. Well, I mean, that. It, first and foremost, we need to talk a little bit about what's driving a lot of this and what's driving a lot of this is the educational complex in the state of Alaska. In October, right before the general election, 
The superintendent of the Anchorage School District, Jared Bryant, said low enrollment and stagnant state funding during high inflation pushed the district to make closure announcements. Um, let me say that part of that is true. Low enrollment, and, and this is where you have to really look at it. Low enrollment. When you're seeing a decline in enrollment in standard brick-and-mortar schools, you would comparatively believe that they would need to ratchet back their expenses and things because they're now serving fewer students. But that's not what goes on because, you know, they got the hold harmless provisions, they got everything else, and uh, they built up this big behemoth that's got to be fed whether they've got the students or not. Low enrollment is one of the reasons. The stagnant state funding, and, and I love how the way that they phrase this, because the base student allocation is just a part of what's going on here. The base student allocation is just part of how schools receive their funding. It is the base. It is the, again, it is the baseline. And it does have a little bit of an escalator built in, like I said. It has gone up about 4% since 2017. But that's not enough, according to the school districts. Which would, you know, when you saw Uncle Sugar pass out all this money and the school districts took that money, that one-time money, by the way, and they used it to pay salaries and other things that were not one-time costs, somebody should have thrown a flag on the play and said, wait a minute, I mean, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but should you be using one-time money to pay for things that are not one-time costs? Might that not make our, you know, might that, might that not make our, our, our whole budgetary process looks, uh, you know, look a little, I mean, might it not hide some things that are, you know, in the soup, so to speak? Bryant wrote to staff and family members is that the bottom line is when our state government doesn't increase education funding, it's cutting education funding. So, see, that's the that's the mantra. The mantra is if we don't increase it, that's a cut. If you don't increase the funding, that's a cut. Imagine if that's how businesses work. Imagine if that's how business did business all the time. Imagine where we'd be today. I got to get over to the phones here before I run out of time. Somebody's called in. I want to hear what you have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, Mike. It's Michael from uh, Salsa. Hey, Mike. What's up? Hey, you know, when they were having the uh, people running for election on up here in Fairbanks at uh, the local radio station, Cliff Bishop come on, and a couple people called in to question him about his dealings in the government, and David Cruz shut him off, would not let them ask any questions that we really needed answers to. Right. And Cliff Bishop used to be the representative for Salsha, but he's not anymore, and I'm glad he's not. Uh, but that's just my point. When uh, they had the candidates on, and people started asking, "Click the uh, serious questions," 
David Pooh shut you off, hung you up, and wouldn't let you call back in. Right. Well, I mean, that's a problem if uh, if your government officials are not being responsive or they're not allowing, you know, being allowed to ask those questions. Um, that's definitely problematic, Mike. I would not uh, I would not disagree with yeah, that and, at and, all. And they were they were patting themselves on the back and talking about the good old days when they were gold mining and this and that, you know. Right. Instead of talking about the the issues, the, talking about the issues and what people and what they're going to vote on and how people are going to be affected. Yeah, not a good, not a good look. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, we can talk more about this later here, and I'm sure we will. This will be the number one topic, I'm sure, coming into the rest of the session. Up next, Rob Myers is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Okay. Let me see, Chris. I'm sorry. I just looked down and saw this comment. Chris says, I miss Natasha. (laughs) Chris, Chris, you made me cough. I miss Natasha. I mean, I miss her just because she was the soundbite queen, man. That was, she was the, that, that gal was the soundbite queen. This is day, I don't know what the heck day it is, Madam President. It's day a lot. And we're all tired. And it is time to get a new perspective. This fishbowl and air is very stale. My clothes, I'm so sick of them. I don't want to wear them anymore. My clothes, I'm so sick of them. I don't want to wear them anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, sometimes I miss Natasha, too. <laughs> sometimes I miss Natasha. Uh, all right, uh, let me see here. I see that uh, Senator Rob Myers is in the... Uh, He's over in the green room. We're going to leave him there for just a hot second. Let me get caught up here and see what else is going on here. Richard says, anything the government gets involved with automatically turns into an opportunity for them to create a bigger problem so they have a longer career. Maybe a locally formed group of private farmers, gardeners, et cetera, would be a good idea. They're working towards controlling the food chain, not to sound conspiratorial, but it is a bit suspect with all that's going on with the supply issues and processing plants burning, et cetera. Uh, You know, uh, again, I think the biggest problem is getting government out of the way. DEC, Department of Ag, all those kind of things. I mean, how about all that? I I agree. What if Wednesday? And Laura says, what if Wednesday? Yes, she likes that idea. Um. Uh, how can they justify more dollars for education when our student population is dropping, at least the building-based schools? The homeschooling programs are growing, and they're much cheaper to operate. Um, IDEA has 10,000 students now. They are the biggest statewide homeschooling program in the state, and there are 22 more homeschooling programs plus independent homeschoolers. I agree. Why, why not? 
Um, everything the government has is taken from somebody else. Again, is governor is government a net producer or a net consumer? Government is a net consumer. It always has been. Um, I'm I'm still going through here. Um, best we can hope for in the next ten years is deadlocking. Redistricting didn't do Alaskans any favors. In ten years, I expect the center of legislative power to shift from the Anchorage area, says Daniel. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting thought. We should discuss that further. Um. Uh, legislators not adapting to the new parameters. You mentioned they're trying to fund a failed obsolete system. Imagine a business serving 6,000 less people a year, but still receiving the same funding as if they never left, then demanding more while producing the worst outcomes in the nation and still being in business. That right there is that wins the internet today. That's the internet quote of the day right there from Politidic. Uh, all right. Where am I at here? <clears throat> I guess we will. Uh, whoop, let me close that. There we go. There we go. All right. Let me get uh, let me get things squared away here, and we will get uh, Rob Myers up in the chit chat here this morning. Good morning, Mister Myers. Uh, how are you today? Good morning, Michael. So far, so good. It's all everything's all copacetic. You all ready to dive? I got to. Now I got to move the camera back. Th- oh, this way. There we go. Uh, all this new fancy stuff, and it's not set up properly. Uh, so uh, you ready to you ready to dive in? Both feet. Well, you know, I I, I noticed after uh, we had a, a chat what a couple weeks after the election, I think, and there were a bunch of people in the comment section saying something about how we need Myers Monday. Well, here's a Myers Monday, but I, I gotta rem- I gotta remind people. I bear a lot of resemblance to Garfield. I love lasagna. I hate Mondays. So, love lasagna. Yeah. So, and there's no days that start with R, so it can't be Rob Tuesdays. It just doesn't sound the same, right? I mean, it just yeah, doesn't sound the same. It does not work. No. I know. Your, your alliteration, uh, your alliteration uh, only works on Mondays, unfortunately. I know. Really, this is the thing. I mean, the alliteration is the rule on the show, right? It's got to be, you know alliteration or as i was correctly as correctly pointed out to me since the shower hour of power is actually poetic it's not literary you know it's not a, a alliteration so i apologize but you know that's just i love the way those things trip off the tongue and myers monday not a bad one uh we sh- we could just call it wait a minute wait wait for it we could Uh-oh. just call it the rob report well, except we already comment. We already took that one. That's my newsletter. Oh, is that your newsletter? The Rob newsletter. Yeah. Well, the Rob Report is actually a magazine for the rich and famous, right? That's the Rob Report was actually a magazine that came out for that kind of stuff. Oh. So that I thought that was kind of cute and funny. But all right, well, that's that's all good. Uh, okay, Rob, you ready to uh, you ready to dive down into this and get uh, get your fingers dirty and and talk about this stuff? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, I'm going to drop you back into the chat room and we're going to, or into the green room and we're going to continue here. Folks, do me a favor like, share, follow, do the YouTube things and the Facebook things and the Twitch things. Do it all. It helps us. It does. It helps us a lot. And uh, don't forget, you could check it out and become a member of the Common Sense Corps as well to help us out. 
Uh, we're jumping back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Hour 2 is right now. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program, Hour 2 of the big radio broadcast. And it is Monday. I, I hate to I hate to tell you that it's Monday. Uh, and But you know what? It's going to be a great week. You're going to have a good week this week. It's 2023. It's a new year. We're guaranteed not to repeat the same mistakes that we've... Made in tw- anyway, uh, we're going to continue on here and jump into it. Uh, we've got our guest for today, Rob Myers. Senator Rob Myers is going to be joining us. We've been going over in this last hour what we expect to see uh, from the upcoming session based on commentary and news articles that are being uh, released uh, from uh, such uh, luminaries as Click Bishop and Senator Kathy Giesel and more. Um. Let's just put it this way. <clears throat> this year, this session, probably not going to be as fun as last session, if you can believe that. Probably not going to be nearly as fun as last session. Uh, let's uh, jump over right now and get things started with Rob Myers, uh, our guest. And uh, we'll see uh, We'll see where we want to start off with, uh, start, start from, and uh, we'll go from there. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Doing okay so far, Michael. It's a Monday morning, but we'll work with it. It's a Monday. That's a pizza. Uh, It is a Monday, and uh, what are we? We're one week away, right? You guys start next Tuesday. That's the start date for the uh, session. Is that correct? Yeah, they can't hear you when you... Tomorrow. They can't hear you when you nod, Rob. That's... uh, Yeah, uh, no. My mom used to complain about that, said I need to put bells on my ears. Yeah, exactly. Just Let's just do that. All right, Rob. Well, I know you were listening to my commentary and the discussion in the last hour. Um, I mean, am I wrong? Is this is this where the battle lines are going to be drawn? Are we going to be, I mean, is it going to be education? Is it going to be, you know, defined benefits? Is it going to be increasing the, uh, is it going to be increasing the, the operating budget so that we can rehire some of these people because our what was this? Our three departments are on the verge of utter collapse and chaos, anarchy, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. 
Um, is it? I mean, are those the 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 battle lines that are being drawn right now in the legislature? I I, I mean, I think that's it. It's it's pretty straightforward. It's where where can we increase money while we know that oil prices are dropping? That's that's really what it boils down to. And what's going to get squeezed in the process is the dividend. Pretty pretty straightforward. Um, we we know what's going to happen. Um, you know, if if you look at one comment I heard you making earlier is, is uh, commenting off can't remember who in the article talking about the um, how the uh, the permanent fund is becoming our largest source of government revenue. If you look at uh, 2020 when oil prices tanked because of COVID and stuff, uh, the permanent fund draw was 65% of our state revenue. Uh, this last year, because of the sky high oil prices hitting 100, over 100 bucks a barrel, um, oil prices again became the largest source of our revenue back in the 60, 65% range, not the 90% that it had been years ago, uh, but the 60, 65% range. And then um, I, I was talking to Ledge Finance uh, a few weeks ago, taking a look at saying, okay, given what the stock market's doing, what we think oil prices are doing, what's kind of what's the ratio going forward. And uh, it looks like for the this next fiscal year, uh, the one that we're going to be talking about the budget this year, um, the oil prices and the permanent fund draw are going to be basically even. And the following year, oil prices are going to drop. Permanent fund is going to rise slightly, most likely. And the permanent fund draw will be, again, the largest source of revenue for the state. And that's the uh, that's the, the pattern that we're going to be following. And that's one of the things that I spent this last campaign trying to talk to people about is that we have not talked about what that does to our state budget to have an investment portfolio being the majority and probably in the near future, the vast majority of your state's revenue, because that does some nasty things to the budget. It does some nasty things to the economy. And we have not worked out what that all means going forward. I wanted to go in a different direction, but let's uh, let's let's continue with this. Let's. So exactly. I mean. This is really shades of what we heard back during the Walker administration when they wanted to change the permanent fund from a permanent fund dividend to some kind of sovereign wealth fund. They said it would become the generator that would drive the state. Um, and that's where we would derive most of the state revenue from. So what does that what what does that mean for us? What what is what is happening there? And and why well, is and why is it, in your opinion, you just said, I mean, there's some nasty things. Let's talk about that. So let's talk about the economic side first, and then we'll we'll back up and we'll talk about what it does to the budget. Because really, what it does to the budget is it's is it's continuing long term trends that we've had since the seventies. But let's talk about what it does to the economy. Is when you have a government that derives the vast majority of its money uh, off of the economy, in whether it's an oil tax or a sales tax or whatever, you have to pay attention to the economy, right? Because if you don't you're going to you're going to choke off the goose that kills that that um, lays a golden egg for you. And and eventually you have to recognize that you're hurting yourself. That's kind of what California is in right now. They they got this great economy. They made a bunch of money off of it. And then they started slowly increasing the taxes and the regulation. Now they're killing off their economy and they're going to be in there in a budget crisis. OK, and we in Alaska, we would you know, we would have to pay attention to those same type of forces if that's where most of our money was coming from. But if most of your money is coming from Wall Street, 
what are you going to do? You're going to pay attention to Wall Street. And, you know, uh, let's be honest, you know, just as much as, as, you know, your show can't affect what's happening in D.C., what happens in Juneau really has zero effect on what happens in Wall Street. So, you know, we're going to sit there and be spectators. We can't affect anything. We can't make anything better. And at the same time, we're going to neglect our economy here. Um, you know, we there's a limit to regulation to some extent when you have when your government has to depend on your economy because you can't regulate your own source of funds out of business. Well, now, if it doesn't depend on the economy, yes, it can regulate the local economy out of business. And so all these things that we're talking about with regard to food security or or um, or other economic issues, you're talking about licensing at one point, um, we can continue to up the uh, the regulations. And to some extent, that's what's going on with with our our um, education issues is is a, an imbalance between money and regulation. And that is, you know, that that really just says, oh, you know what? Juno doesn't have to pay attention. It doesn't have to care what the economy is doing because that's not where its money comes from. Its money comes from Wall Street. And as long as Wall Street's doing fine, then the economy uh, can go suck eggs. It, it doesn't really matter in the long run. We're going to do, you know, Juno, I'm sure the, that whoever gets elected 10, 20 years down the road, once we're fully into that situation, will make nice noises about, uh, we need economic diversity and we need jobs and things like that. But they're going to do things that are going to be politically expedient, not economically efficient, because that's the nature of government, right? So, I mean, it's the disconnect then between the private economy and what's happening with the GDP and what's going on with the state of Alaska. It's that disconnect because in other states, because of tax revenues and things like that, that's how the states are funded. They realize that there's a go, no go point. Like if they can, if they want more revenue, they can only raise taxes to a certain amount before it starts to affect the actual GDP and economy of the state. So they are held back in that regard. If we are disconnected from this and they're just drawing money out of a big pot that they can do with whatever they want, then that means that the size and growth of government is completely decoupled from whatever the economy is in the state of Alaska. Yeah, absolutely. Because normally there's going to be a limit to your government growth because once your government grows a certain amount, it it tamps down on the economy and that's, a, you know, and that's the ultimate limit of government growth is when the government runs out of money, right? So if you ha if you can't get money out of your economy because your government's growing too much and stifling the economy, well, then that puts a limit on things. And, you know, we saw some pushback in that nationally kind of in the 70s, you know, that was a, and, and the 80s. Uh, you know, we saw that we saw some deregulation start in the 70s. We saw, um, you know, starting to cut significant tax cuts in the 80s. Uh, things like this. And and then you see different states dealing with it at different points in time. You know, you saw, for example, uh, Colorado put in their taxpayer bill of rights in, I think it was 92. Um, you know, a number of other states in the 80s and 90s put in, you know, kind of had uh, tax revolts and put in um, spending caps, some revenue caps, uh, you know, things like this, uh, because they were recognizing that their local economies were getting stifled because of how government was growing. And we're going to completely and totally um, just completely short circuit that process here in Alaska because our government is going to be able to grow regardless of how well the local economy is growing.
and <laughs> I mean, there's so many bad things that uh, are attached to that, and it and it. Uh, I mean, it's it's troubling. This is the push, though, right? I mean, we started seeing this discussion. Uh, I guess two years ago when they first started talking about a targeted goal for the permanent fund to be at $100 million. Because if they drew it at $100 million and they took their 5% draw, that would be be $5 billion a year in revenue that they could that they could take. And that's when we really first started to see that 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 beautiful dream for these people of, look, all this unfettered money without having to bother the people uh, or uh, worry about the oil revenues. Yeah, exactly. And I think you had, uh, I think it was Tom McKay on the House floor uh, made the perfect comment uh, this last session during the budget debates. He said, I'm very troubled by what's what's happening here, uh, talking about, you know, trying to raise a permanent fund to 100 billion and then using that to that draw to fund government and things. That I'm, I'm not quoting verbatim here. I, I don't remember the quote off exactly, but he said, basically, we're getting to a point where we can turn the state of Alaska into a park and the government can continue to run and continue to grow regardless of what happens to the residents. That's, and that's the scariest part of this. All right. Well, that was not the, that was not the, the, the high moment that I wanted to start with, but it is uh, kind of the whole point here. And again, this whole idea that somehow uh, they need to, bring the subject of the dividend under control um, is, uh, you know, the most frustrating. I mean, uh, can you comment before we get into some of these other things? I mean, one of the things that they talked about that I, I mentioned earlier was this uh, this contention, right? The political division, the uh, um, how did uh, how did she put it? Basically, uh, that uh, this this whole prevailing message of the fighting and the nastiness and all this other kind of stuff. When all I all I could think of was, look, uh, these are people who are trying to fight for their constituency. Does that make them bad that they want to fight for what their constituency wants? Well, you know, some of it is fighting for your constituencies, and we recognize that you know Fairbanks is going to fight for things different than Anchorage, and Matsu is going to fight for things different than Juno, or you know you're going to have those types of fights and those are normal and they're never going to go away. But ultimately the fight that we have been seeing for the last, Oh, six, eight years now really boils down to a fight between should the government economy be in charge or should the private economy be in charge? Because since the seventies, we've had enough money to do both. And now we're going to have to make that hard choice, and we can talk about that a lot more and why that happened after the break. Senator Rob Myers is our guest. We're going to continue. We're going to talk about producing versus consuming, which ought to be an interesting discussion as well. And we're going to talk about why. Oh, why can't we cut the state budget? Why has it become such a impossibility in some people's minds? State Senator Rob Myers, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. 
Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Rob Myers is our guest. Um, I mean, I don't know whose brainchild this was to start using the dividend. I mean, I guess we could point the finger back to the Walker administration and the discussion of the Sovereign Wealth Fund. I don't think before that people were really considering using it 100% as the golden goose, so to speak, that lays the egg every year. But it, it does lead me to believe that this is why people have become so vehement about controlling the size of the dividend, because now they understand that it cuts into their money, so to speak, as mm-hmm. legislators. Right. And that's something I was I was hoping we can start getting into on the next segment is talking about, you know, it's not just legislators that are going to care about Hey, these guys, uh, you know, the, we've got money going out to private citizens and they're making their own decisions and not, you know, people in Juno making decisions. But that cuts into the bottom line for a lot of businesses around the state that depend on state spending for their livelihood. And uh, really, if you start looking around in Juno and you start start seeing who shows up in people's offices and things like that um, and who's making campaign contributions and stuff, um, it, it really matters who makes their money off of the state because then they start to either directly or indirectly lobby against the dividend, lobby for more state spending, et cetera. And that really goes back to consumers and producers. I mean, that's really the kind of the gist of that argument, right? I mean, are we net producers or are we net consumers as a state? And uh, I, I, again, I find it laughable to think that, and we're going to get into this as well, that uh, she can say that the state is, uh, you know, we need to produce more, yet we have 37% of the population is on some form of welfare or uh, government subsidy at that point. I think a little more just on Medicaid, if I remember right. Medicaid is about 35, maybe 37, something like yeah, that. I know 37. it's 37. Yeah, we hit 40 at the middle of the pandemic, I know we've come down a little bit, but I can't remember exactly how far we'd come down. Then you can throw on food stamps, Section 8 housing, uh, heating oil assistance, you know, a few other things. And of course, you know, a lot of people get, you know, more than one. So, you know, that each of those doesn't necessarily raise it a whole lot. But by the time you add all of them up, then, yeah, you're talking 40 percent or more of the population. And, and I think that's going to be the key here is how many. How many people are lying sideways in the government trough one way or the other? And who then are they going to support based on the fact that they're lying sideways in the government trough? You know, who, who I can't remember if it was Bastiat or whoever that basically said, woe be under the Republic when the when the uh, when the public figures out that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. Right. I mean, Tocqueville. Oh, de Tocqueville. That's who it was. It wasn't Bastiat. It was de Tocqueville. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that. but that's it. When you figure out that when the public figures out that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury, that is the woe unto the republic at that point, I think was the comment. I, I believe that de Tocqueville said that would be the death of the American republic. Yeah. Well, here we are. <laughs> Wondering. And what, what I want to talk about is not just about, you know, on the lower end of, of who is is getting money, you know, in terms of some sort of welfare program, because as Republicans, we always target that. I want to talk about on the high end about who, you know, looks like they're doing well from a business standpoint, and you'd expect them to support our point of view. And yet they don't because they're great businessmen because they're making their money off of the state. Oh, well, I mean, that's what. 
Yeah, no, I've talked about that a lot on this program. It's not just welfare in the traditional form of welfare. It's the corporate welfare, right? I mean, we're seeing it right now. People who've got entire business models baked and built in around that government spending in the largesse. And, yeah, we are going to talk about that here uh, in the uh, in the coming segment. Folks, do me a favor. Uh, like and share this video. Like and follow the show page. Do the YouTube things that we need to do. Uh, to try and uh, get more people involved in the conversation. I think that that is super important. Wait, Donna said something here. Uh, no one can think clearly or sensibly about the vast and burning topic without, in the first instance, making up his mind upon the fundamental issue. Does the state, does he value the state above the citizen or the citizen above the state? Does a government exist for the individual or do individuals exist for the government? That's um, uh, That should be a key that should be a key point for everybody to think about here. All right, jumping back into it. Yeah, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense. Welcome back to the program. Continuing now with our guest, uh, State Senator Rob Myers, uh, who's coming on board and continuing our discussion. Before we went to break, um, he was hitting on some things about, you know, the idea of why drawing the majority of state revenues from the uh, permanent fund is problematic, to say the least. Uh, Not, you know, not the least of which, of course, is the disconnect between the private economy and the size and growth of government. Um, but we are also talking about producers and consumers. And that leads us to a bigger question here. I mean, Rob, has the government ever really produced anything or is government a net consumer? And what does that spell? How does that trickle down into the economy? And we were talking about, you know, 37 percent of Alaskans being on some form of uh, up to 37 percent being on some form of welfare or handout whether it's Medicaid or housing or food stamps or or something else, um, does that really make us consumers? And is it just those people's fault, or is there is there a deeper issue here? Well, I mean, you can make an argument that there are certain things that the government produces that the that the private economy has a hard time producing. You know, whether we're talking about public safety or infrastructure or things like that. But we have to always remember: is it is it a net? production or a net consumption because the the government on its own it's not like the government's out there producing widgets so you know it has to take its money from something that is producing a good or a service in order to create those those other services that we we need we use but on their own but can't exist on their own so you know we we have to go back and talk about why is our our budget getting so big um, because it's going to consume so much of our, our private economy and uh, it's it's just not going to be sustainable. And that's 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 really the question that that we have not been able to address over the last six, eight years is why can't we cut our budget down to something that is actually useful? Um, I think we got we got Donna Ardu in the chat room, you know, something she's mentioned a couple of times is there are certain things that the government does 
that help support and contribute to the private economy, such as plowing the roads. And there are certain things that they do that take away from the private economy. And we in Alaska have not made that distinction. And that's a big part of the reason that we're in this, in this uh, uh, mess is because we have to ask ourselves, why is our budget so big and why can't we cut it down? So what are the reasons? I mean, what, um, why can't we cut it down? I mean, what, what is the, cause we we've heard that for many, I mean, we have been on this program and the listenership of this program and many Alaskans are like, you got to cut, you got to cut. It's too big. You got to cut. And all we hear is, oh, we couldn't possibly cut any more than where we are right now. We're cut to the bone. And in fact, if you're not increasing, it's a cut, right? I right. mean, that's, that's what we're hearing now. So why, why can't we cut? What, what is the, you know, why can't we so, do it? So, th- so this is a, a long, a long history in Alaska. This goes back to, you know, long, long before, you know, Walker or any of the recent politicians. This goes back to striking oil in 1968. Um, when the state hit the oil, when, when ARCO hit the oil up there on the slope in 68, Alaska hit the proverbial gold mine, both for the private economy and for the government. And you know the old line about a gold mine. If there's a gold mine in the area, there's two ways you make money. You can either mine the gold or you can mine the miners. Right. right. Now, you know, well, you're mining the gold. That's the oil companies drilling oil. And that's Alaskans uh, going to work for the oil companies or, or creating oil field service companies. You know, so, for example, myself, I, I drive truck. And about half of my career, I have been serving the oil fields in one way or another. So that that's my own version of mining the gold, okay? And, and there's a lot of Alaskans that have participated in that for the last 50 years. But it's the mining the miners side that we have to have to look at because so much of that money, because it's coming off of state land, uh, the royalties go to the state, the severance tax goes to the state, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so really what we have done is we have developed an economy where a large part of of the people in the state depend on mining the state and that that's really what we're we're running into here is because you talk about uh cutting government then you're talking about cutting into those businesses bottom line and so that they go back and they go to juno and send their lobbyists down there to fight those cuts and that's a big part of the opposition that we're running into so just run through a few examples of that. Um, Brad's brought this one up a couple of times, Medicaid benefits. You know, we were talking about that in the last segment, uh, 35, 37% of the state uh, population is on Medicaid. Right. It was so, up, it, it, but by the way, during the pandemic, it was even higher. It was over 40%. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so we talk about the Medicaid in terms of the benefits. And yes, that goes to the people on the lower end of the income scale, but the Medicaid dollars providing those services go to people on the upper end of the income scale. It's doctors, it's healthcare facilities, et cetera. And so they send their lobbyists down to Juno to say, don't cut Medicaid. When I first got elected two years ago, one of the first um, meetings that I had was a group here in Fairbanks that brought me in and said, please don't cut uh, expand the Medicaid expansion that happened under Walker, because that was now their bread and butter. If they, if we cut that, they'd be underwater. And, you know, so that's, that's one example. Another one, um, they, they made a little headline yesterday, uh, GCI. Okay. 
I don't know how things have changed since they got bought out uh, by that out-of-state company now, but uh, GCI for a while there, they had a business model where their biggest customers were internet services for state and local governments, for you know the state government, for school districts, et cetera. And so in 2015, 2016, when we first got into this budget crisis, you saw GCI sending their lobbyists to Juno, not only telling them not to cut the budget, but explicitly telling them to cut the dividend to fund the budget. Right. So, you know, well, we saw, yeah, you know, we saw Ron Duncan and company expend $2 million to try and lobby and convince and put advertisements out. Uh, Ron Duncan was the president of GCI at the time uh, to, to basically tell people you don't get a dividend during the Walker administration. We saw that. Right. Exactly. And so you've got a private business lobbying the government to increase spending. That's very, very backwards. And, it, and it's just emblematic of how screwed up things are in this state. You know, uh, one other big part uh, that, that, you know, doesn't get talked about a lot is the capital budget. The capital budget uh, in Alaska is, you know, what builds useful things by and large. That is what built, you know, that's what resurfaces the roads. Right. It uh, builds a new airport. And, you know, do we need things like that? Yes. Do we need infrastructure in the state? Absolutely. But the issue is that we have a lot of construction companies in this state that depend on government spending, either state or federal, to, to, to make their dollars. And what that means then is they turn around and they lobby the government for an increased capital budget. But that doesn't mean that we get a capital budget necessarily that grows the state. We get a capital budget that helps out uh, a lot of those companies that have been lobbying the government. And the end result is we get a capital budget that is made for political reasons, not for economic reasons. And do we need infrastructure? Yes, but we need infrastructure that's smart and that's chosen based on how it will increase the private economy, not how it will, you know, help get somebody reelected or how it'll help a, a business back in, in their district or something like that. So, you know, th those are just a couple of areas where, where we're in serious trouble. Well, and this really creates the perfect storm, right, Rob? I mean, this creates the perfect storm of you have a dependency on one side from the traditional welfare class. At this point, upwards of one third of the state now on one form of welfare or other in what we would consider to be traditional welfare and a huge portion of the upper uh, echelon of income earners in the state who have built entire business models around that state spending and unfortunately, the ones who are getting squeezed are those of us in the middle. I mean, we're the ones that are that are feeling the pain and will continue to feel the pain in the future. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, trying to live off the state is is nothing new. That's been going on for centuries and in, in various uh, places and, and in various times. But here's what's different in Alaska in that regard is, first of all, the average person has little to no reason to ask the state to stop spending because it has, it's not coming out of their pocket. And your average person might be working for one of these companies that's making their money off of off of the, the government. So you want to turn around and t you want to ask the average Alaskan to call their representative and tell them to, to cut spending. Well, they might be cutting their own throat, financially speaking. Right. And the other problem with that is that the usual group that really helps us push back against spending in most cases, which is the upper income bracket and the business community, they're instead primarily pushing for more spending because they're so often the beneficiaries of it. 
and that's not a hundred percent across the board, but it's so much of it that it, it really just takes the usual uh, political coalitions and flips it on its head. Right. Cause in other uh, States in other States, these would be the, this would be the group that would be standing up there, pounding their fists on the podium, railing against this type of spending, but because it's lighting their pockets, they're like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. That sounds good to us. We'll keep that going. And then on top of that, the problem in this state is that if we have a problem, it seems like the first thing that we do and the new cry, hue and cry is, well, throw money at it then. Well, it's not exactly a new hue and cry. That's an old hue and cry. Right. It's just, it, yeah, you know, it's it, in the past, it's been, oh, it's it's whenever we have more, uh, you know, whenever there's an oil boom or something like that, it's, you know, we have some other, uh, you know, extra piece of money coming into the state. It's, oh, we've got all these problems. Let's throw money at them to fix them. Well, some of these problems require more than money. You know, you were talking about education a lot in the first hour, and that's one one prime example. You know, I, I think a lot of what's going on, I've talked to uh, a few members of, of our school board here and, and a, a few other people that have been around the state for a while. And what they're telling me is kind of kind of what I'm, the picture I'm getting is that every time we get cash in, the good idea fairy hits Juno and says, hey, I got ideas about what we can do with education. We're going <laughs> to put these little extra pieces in here and we're going to increase the 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 BSA to go along with it. And it, it they start to become these unfunded mandates because they're they're not necessarily funded in and of themselves. They just kind of roll them into the regular budget. And so you do enough of that and it really starts to take away from education. It doesn't add to education. It takes away from education. Uh, because eventually then your teacher salaries have to go up and your heating oil goes up and et cetera, et cetera. And you have to fund those basic things, but now you've got all these other extra requirements that have been added by the state. And what's the end result? Well, the end result is that we're spending more money per capita after inflation than we did in, in 2000. And our performance has dropped from middle of the pack to dead last because we've had all of these little pieces that have gotten added over the years. Um, because we've had a little extra money and how do we fix problems in this state? You throw money at the problem. You don't actually sit down and fix the problem. Right. And, you know, and, and that's the state that education is in. Honestly, I think what we need to be doing, if you want to talk about fixing education in this state is we need to take the entire title of state statute dealing with education and comb through it and say, does this actually add to education or does it take away from education? And, and until we do that, Throwing money at the problem is not going to fix it. Well, because we've thrown ever increasing, exponentially increasing amounts of money at education. I mean, the 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 kind of the bait and switch we're seeing in the public discussion right now is this discussion on the BSA. But again, the BSA is just one component of educational spending, right? Mm -hmm. It's gone up only 4%. That's just not enough. Well, you forget about the millions and millions and millions of dollars that have been spent for, uh, since 2017. In addition to the BSA, we act mm -hmm. like we've been underfunding schools this whole time. That's what I mean when the new conversation has come back to this, that this is what the answer is. Oh, we're last in the country as far as educational aptitude and thing. Well, we just need more money. This has become the new mantra now of we were underfunding it for the whole time. And this is this is how we need to fix it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then there's all the other pieces that go into it. You know, I know one of your favorites is talking about the school bond debts, um, uh, uh, votes and things like that, you know, so that which kind of get at my craw because in some places they're necessary, but in other places they just become a way for 
uh, a school district to vote vote themselves some money out of the state trough. Right. And, you know, what what we're what we got to remember coming up is that uh, when we hit this budget crisis in I can't remember, it was 15 or 16, somewhere around there, the state put in a moratorium on you can't have any more um, uh, uh, you can't have any more of these bonds issued uh, based on the state, the state paying back 70 percent. You know, we'll keep paying, at least in theory, we'll keep paying on what is has already been. Uh, created, but you can't make any more. Well, that moratorium expires in 2025. So if we don't do something about that soon, put some sideboards on it, we're going to go back to this freewheeling where, you know, I, I remember, uh, oh, this was 10, 12 years ago in Fairbanks, we were voting on a on a, a bond drawing on state money for a new playground, for, for playground equipment, and we're going to ask the state to pay for 70% of it. Right. No. And I I mean, reminds me of Fairbanks where we were bonding for a school, a new school to knock down an old school that we were still paying bonds on. And we still had another eight, nine years to pay the bonds on the first school off that we were going to raise to the ground. It just becomes it becomes a super uh, a self-licking problem, a self self uh, reinforcing uh, feedback loop. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're going to continue on the other side. We're going to ask him the question. So what do we do? What what do we how do we fix this? What is the solution? Senator Rob Myers, our guest, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, Rob Myers is our guest. Rob, I got to tell you, the, this is a story that I've told before, but I remember that just like it was yesterday, it was about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and I was doing some work on the side uh, in a uh, in a local sign shop. I was running some stuff and doing some sales and stuff for them on top of doing everything else I was doing. Um, but I remember seeing coming across my desk a trade magazine from the Association of General Contractors. And, and the, the cover of the magazine said, and I quote, selling schools to your local communities. And it was the whole idea of the whole article was about, I mean, you're laughing, but it's the truth. The whole article was about how the Association of General Contractors and all the contracting businesses needed to get in with their local communities and their boroughs and counties and things like that. And they needed to sell them on the idea that a new school was the best thing for the kids, for the people, for everybody else. Uh, meanwhile, of course, the contractors are the ones that are going to have to build it. And it was a whole, it was an industry wide thing. That was what they wanted you to do. Sell these new schools to the community. Right. And this goes back to the comment I just, I, I made just a little bit ago is government makes decisions for political reasons not for economic ones or or ones that are actually going to affect the outcome that we at least say we're trying to affect they're they're going to do things because it gets them political uh bonuses not because it actually solves the problem right well uh i mean we could name thing at we know we could name uh instance after instance and of course there's no other state in the union that's facing the problem that we're facing uh, as Rob pointed out, in any other state where the revenue was generated by, you know, mostly by tax revenue, 
the ones that would rail against it the most are the ones that would be affected. That would be the upper echelon income earners and the businesses and things like that. But in this case, <clears throat> they're cheering it on. They're, let they're, me let me put a little addendum onto that. So almost no other state is dealing with it. We are the ones dealing with it the worst, but we're actually not the only ones dealing with it. So last, um, and, and it's telling when you look at who is. So last month, I went to a legislative conference. I was down in Colorado, and I was talking to a colleague from the wonderful state of Wyoming. And Wyoming has a lot of things in common with Alaska, of course. You know, we're sparsely populated. We depend a lot on fossil fuels. And Wyoming is dealing with a lot of the same problems that we are. And because Wyoming had set their budget up uh, decades ago to depend on coal. Uh, for a good chunk of their budget, not not as bad as we were with oil, but right. but a good chunk of it. And now coal is is in the tank and has been for a while now. They're they're actually in worse shape than we are in some ways because at least we still are drilling oil. I was talking to this guy. He said that in in Wyoming, every major coal company in the state is in bankruptcy, Jeez. and. So their coal revenues are in the tank. And so this guy that I was talking to, he's a Republican. He's a conservative guy. He talked to me. His comment to me was, you know, for decades in Wyoming, we've been able to spend, you know, whatever we want. And we haven't really had to have that hard discussion about how much we want to, or how much we're willing to, to spend and how much government we actually need. And I went, hmm, that sounds really familiar. Right. Now. The difference is that Wyoming has a sales tax and he's talking about, I think he said it's in the 6% range. He's talking about removing a couple of exemptions and probably bumping up about a penny or so. Um, but then he's also talking about budget cuts. And uh, I was taking a look at it just to see where we were sitting uh, in terms of government spending. Wyoming's government spending uh, on a per capita basis is a little over 8,000 a person and our government spending on a per capita basis is over 14. So we are most definitely in worse shape than them overall, but, I th but they're in some significant trouble as well. And it's because it's one more place that put their state budget to be dependent on fossil fuels. Right. And again, outside of the cycle of the actual economy. Again, a disconnect. And so we're, what we're doing is we're proposing to to uh, to take already what, what is already a broken system because we've been dependent on oil for so long outside of the general uh, economy of the state. And we're we're talking about making it even worse by now depending on oil and the permanent fund. So we would be even more disconnected at that point of the state. And, and that leads me to the question of, because again, people are disconnected. This leads me back to the question of Hammond had a comment about uh, when they were eliminating the income tax in the state of Alaska. And his argument was, don't kill it completely. If you want to zero it out, zero it out, but at least leave it on the books. Because what's mm -hmm. going to happen is that we're eventually going to suck up all the money and you're going to, you know, and people are disconnected. And the only way to reconnect them is to have that tax. Somebody else would argue, well, California does. I mean, what quickly your thoughts on that? Well, I was hoping to talk about that a little bit in the next segment about what we need to do to get out of this okay. problem. And yeah, and there, there has to be a financial incentive for the average Alaskan. If that, you know, whether it's a tax or something else, I'm waiting for somebody to give me Let's, something else. All right. Well, hold the line. Let's jump into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show.
All right. Uh, one final segment of uh, the show for this morning. Hour two, wrapping things up with State Senator uh, Rob Myers. And uh, we, we were... We were just uh, we were just talking about uh, you know where do we go from here and some of the problems and the disconnect and how Wyoming has similar problems that we do, in that they were dependent on uh, fossil fuels for most of their uh, income, and how their government has kind of grown out of control. We're even worse, and now we're proposing to not only uh, not only to depend on fossil fuels, but now depend on the permanent fund as well, completely disconnecting the state government. From the economy, and that led me back to a question of um, Governor uh, uh, um, Governor uh, uh, not Hickel, uh, yeah Hammond, Governor Hammond, talking about when they eliminated the income tax in the state of Alaska. His argument was, "Don't zero. I mean, don't take it off the books. Just zero out the amount and let it reside on the books at zero, because you may need to come back to that, because that's the only way you're going to keep the people involved in that discussion." Uh, and so what say you about that, Rob? I mean, is that I mean, is that what our future looks like? Is that we have to have an income tax or something else that gets people engaged on this? So so here's what I'm looking at is in order to solve our problem here, we have to fix, you know, especially if we're talking about kind of the, the corporate welfare side, we got to we got to fix four things. OK, first and foremost, we have to have a spending cap that works. The spending cap that is currently on the books, you've been over this a lot, is meaningless. And is is I, I think uh, one guy told me our spending cap is perfect because it is so high, we'll never break it. Um, but we have to have that spending cap on the books. But a spending cap by itself is not going to fix our problem. If we If we rely on that spending cap, we're going to break it because as the legislature and the courts have shown us over the last 40 odd years, when they really wanna be, the legislature is really, really creative about getting around constitutional provisions. And um, you know, so if all you do is you put this one piece in the constitution and say, that's gonna fix it. I think that you're gonna find your, that within two, three years, if we don't fix the underlying incentives, that, we, that it's not gonna fix the problem. So that, but that's step one. You have to have that spending cap to prevent um, quick uh, upticks in spending when extra money comes in. So, for example, what we saw about 2007, 2008, what we saw this last year in 2022, when oil prices surge, you have to have that spending cap to keep spending from surging with it. So, second is you have to get the oil and the permanent fund money out of the hands of the government. Because again, the government can't spend the money if it doesn't have this have the money to spend, and that's what one of the things that the PFD does. And I, I, I wish people kind of focused on that a little bit more. The PFD, to some extent, is a spending cap because it gets the money out of the hands of the state. Third, we have to grow our private economy, our our non oil, non government economy, because it's going to give people an alternative way of making a living. And if you don't do that, people have no alternative to turn to rather than calling Juno and saying, I need a job, so I need you to spend money on X so that I can, so that I have a way to make a living. Okay. Finally, this is the one that gets the most contentious, is we have to give the average Alaskan a financial incentive to cut government instead of grow it. And, you know, for, for, 30 odd years, we have said, well, the, the dividend is, 
is that financial incentive because um, I think I can't remember exactly how Hammond phrased it, but or you know talking about us as the militant ring, you know, to to protect the permanent fund. Well, if we're going to protect the permanent fund because of the financial stake we have with our dividends, that only works in low uh, low oil revenue times or low revenue low non-permanent fund revenue times. So, for example. You know, we had the the dividend in place in 2007, and yet our spending shot up like crazy, because the spend using the dividend as your spending cap, as as your incentive for people to want government spending to stay low, only works when government doesn't have uh, a whole lot of other ways to spend money. So it worked in '99. It didn't work in 2007. So we have to have a financial incentive that works in the good times and in the bad times to keep government from growing. You, you have to have a, a reason for your average Alaskan to call their representatives and say, spend less, not spend more. As things stand right now, we've got a lot of reasons in this state for people to call Juno and say, please spend more money because I benefit from it in X way. We don't really have a reason for people to call Juno and say, spend less, because that puts more money back into my pocket. So what, in your opinion, would be a good way to incentivize people to hold back and to put pressure on the size and scope of government? What is the, what is the solution? Is it, uh, I mean, it obviously can't simply be, uh, it obviously can't just simply be the permanent fund because that's already been hit so hard. Uh, but is it uh, is it things like uh, a tax or some other form of revenue? What's it What's it going to take? So the class that that that's it is is this is what gets controversial is the classic answer to that is a uh, is is a broad based tax of some kind, uh, whether you're talking an income tax or a sales tax or something along those lines, because that is your financial incentive that hits every or almost every resident and says, all right, I've got a reason to call my representatives and say, that is my money you're spending, spend less of it. And we haven't had that for so long now that that it's it's just given us a reason to turn around and say, that is not my money, that's somebody else's money you're spending. So please spend more of it because that's the only way it gets to my pocket. Right. We, you know, I there there's different ways to structure your taxes. You know, you've had, had Donna Arduin and a couple of others on, talking about how bad income taxes are. Okay, well, I can I can talk to you about how you can structure a sales tax so that it's not regressive and so that it still hits everybody more or less equally. It doesn't, the math works out, so it's close. It's not exact. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to have a way uh, that, that everybody in this state has a financial incentive to call their representatives and say, spend less. And I would love for somebody to give me an option that is not a tax. I am waiting for that to happen. So far, hadn't happened yet. I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm, I'm sure that the chat room is blowing up right now <laughs> saying that, you know, saying that, that uh, there, you know, people saying, well, you, you can't have a tax. You're just going to spend more money. Yes. And that's why you have to have a spending cap. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm waiting for somebody to give me a financial incentive for your average Alaskan to want the government to spend less uh, instead of spending more, that is not a tax. Nobody's come up with one yet. Right. 
So that that says to me that part of the solution, not the only not not the only solution uh, uh, by any means, but part of the solution is going to have to be a broad based tax in the long run. Well, and like you said, the only way to make sure because the argument is, well, if they get more money, they'll just spend it. Then the the hand in glove answer to that is you have to have a real spending cap. If you have a real spending cap and some form of revenue in form of sales or income or tax, then they can't spend it. And again, the pressure from the people would be good. Um, Rob, we're out of time. Thank you for coming on board this morning and sharing with us. It goes so fast. We appreciate it. Myers Monday, the Rob Report. One of those two. We'll, we'll figure something out. Thank you, Rob Myers. Hold the line for us. Folks, we're out of time tomorrow. Chris Story and Brad Keithley join us. The weekly top three and more. Appreciate you guys coming on board. We'll see you tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. The Michael Duke Show. Well, I don't see any pitchforks and torches in the chat room quite yet, Rob. But, um, you know, like I said, early uh, early in the, the end of the year, I was like, maybe that's the answer. Maybe the answer after the election, I, I said, is to just flip and fully embrace the idea of some form of tax, but insist that it has some kind of, uh, of uh, spending cap attached to it as well, because... That's the only way that people are, are going to get motivated. You get, you know, if you can't motivate, you irritate, right? You agitate mm-hmm. them. And so maybe that's what it takes to get people engaged in this process is that you have to have some form of tax that hits their bottom line. And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You can't spend money on all. Especially we're talking, and Brad talks about the top 20% all the time, right? I mean, if... If the top 20% are not engaged now because, well, they don't really care because they're not paying for anything, all of a sudden you start having things like an income tax or a sales tax with a spending cap, they're going to be like, whoa, 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 you, you shouldn't spend my money for that. I mean, maybe that's what it's going to take. Right. I mean, that's and that's that's a good chunk of it. Um, and, and, you know, Brad talks about the top 20% and there's something to that. Um, you know, what I'm looking at is you have to have that counterbalancing force between the people that are benefiting from government and people that are paying for government. Well, right now we only have the one side. So you tell me what's going to happen. Okay. Right. This isn't just a, top, you know, the top 20% thing that, that there's a lot there because that's the part, that's the part of the population that often gets the most politically involved, but that's not the, it's, it's not the only thing going on. There's, there's, a there's, there's other pieces going on as well. And, you know, and, you know, and there, it, this has to be a multi-pronged approach. You know, you talk about, well, you can't have a tax without a spending cap. Well, I would agree with that. You can't have a spending cap without a tax either, I don't think, because let's just, just give one example. Let's go to Colorado. Um, Colorado had a kind of a, a taxpayer revolt in the, the late 80s, early 90s. And in 92, they put in this taxpayer bill of rights into their state constitution. Uh, which is, it was a, a great setup. It wasn't perfect. It was a great setup, but I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, Donna probably knows about this more than I do, but there were some things that changed within the state and so that they actually repealed portions of that. And what I'm concerned about is if you, all you do is you put in a spending cap and you don't put in that daily financial reminder of how much your government costs, right? then 
ultimately there will be a push to get around or modify or repeal that spending cap and we're back in the same boat so yeah there there has to be uh there there has to be that 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 tension there there's got to be the big piece that stops you from doing it when things get really out of control but then there's also still got to be that day-to-day piece to remind your average person exactly what has to happen donna says senator your proposal to only use the permanent fund for dividends and not government would solve the incentive problem she goes on to say it would also serve as a spending cap i mean I, yeah i i would agree with that um we still fall back on some other issues whether you're talking about the volatility the oil money or you talk about um uh you know that go back to brad in the top 20 percent that the dividend is so small that it doesn't matter to them you know you it, it, I believe that is what needs to happen. The other, another problem is our government, as it currently stands, is so large that if you removed the the draw completely and and we had to fund our government next year without that permanent fund draw, all of a sudden you're talking about a sales tax in the you know eight, ten, twelve percent range. Um, you're talking about an income tax, you know, some you know getting up there something similar as well. Um, can could you do that yeah but i also recognize what the the effects of that would be you got you got to find something that that we can kind of gradually move into you know right a stair st- a stair step approach kind of thing a, a little bit yeah as yeah. we can kind of move so we can move you know we can't i don't i don't think politically speaking mathematically speaking maybe it would work politically speaking i don't think that we would be able to end government reliance on the permanent fund immediately but it is something that we could move away from at some point and you know that that has to be a significant part of the goal as well no i agree Uh, i think we couldn't do it all in one fell swoop we didn't get here in one fell swoop we have to take those baby steps and get it done um rob myers thank you my friend i appreciate you coming on board appreciate you being part of the show today and uh good luck next week with a start okay oh yeah gonna be loads of fun all right uh thank you rob myers appreciate it thanks for coming on board and joining us uh all right folks that's uh, it for today we are done appreciate you coming on board the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free-thinking radio like it share like it follow do all that stuff we will see you tomorrow with the tuesday top three Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. It's what we do, The Michael Duke Show.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.